Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. Would you turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 14. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 14. And uh, for those of you who may be wondering, um, I I still am dealing with incredible congestion, but I feel pretty good. So I think I'm not contagious in any way, so don't uh, hesitate to give me a big hug after the service, but um, just be advised, be advised. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 14, we are currently in a sermon series entitled The Fullness of Life. Take it from John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus says these such hopeful, positive, optimistic words. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is the promise of Jesus, the promise keeper, the one who always accomplishes what he says he will do. He has come to bring us an abundant life that is fruitful and victorious. And so far we've looked at several key elements to this kind of life, which include to abiding in Christ, which means that he is the vine, we are the branches, he bears fruit through us, which led into our discussion of the fruit of the Spirit, and then most recently the gifts of the Spirit, and now we are in a segment dealing with the warfare of the Spirit. A spiritual warfare, which Tony Evans defined um, very profoundly as that conflict being waged in the invisible spiritual realm that is being manifest in the visible physical realm. This is so important, I'm going to read it again. Spiritual warfare is that conflict being waged in the invisible spiritual realm that is being manifest in the visible physical realm. And this has astounding implications for how we go about our everyday lives. For what it means is that everything visible and physical is the result of something invisible and spiritual. Therefore, only by addressing the invisible spiritual cause can we fix what is wrong with our visible physical lives. And we spend so much time dealing with symptoms, don't we? Dealing with the outcome as opposed to dealing with the root. It is a lot like, as we've discussed, the dandelions that are in our yards, where we mow them down, we lop off their heads only to have them come back even more, and that it can certainly be true in our lives. Instead, just as it is with dandelions, we've got to get to the root of the problem, and in the cause of spiritual warfare, that invisible spiritual cause, that root, is our enemy, the devil, and his army of fallen angels. Here's the root. Here's what we have to deal with. Demons who are especially interested in attacking us, followers of Jesus Christ, so that we do not live lives that are full or abundant because the more full and abundant our lives become, guess what? The more glory God receives. And so Satan can steal that fullness and abundance. He will be able to steal God's glory. Well, how how do demons do that in our lives? Author Larry Richards, he says it this way, what demons do is influence us. They tempt us. They twist our thinking and cloud our understanding. They lie to us about our identity in Christ, telling us we are useless and hopeless. 
Demons encourage bitterness and anger and destroy healthy relationships. They stimulate our fears and cause panic. They drown us in depression and despair. They tell us we cannot risk stepping out in faith to respond to God's Word. Demons push us toward addictions that can ruin our lives. And sometimes in the process, demons ruin our health. All right, that's a heavy, that's a heavy thing that we just described. Well, the good news is that God has given to us everything that we need to be victorious in this spiritual battle. And this includes what is known as the armor of God that we've been studying in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Namely, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, and prayer. And last week, we put on that part of the armor known as the belt of truth. And we did so by examining three different things. Satan's scheme, God's provision, and our implementation. And in regard to Satan's scheme, we learned that it is to undermine God's revelation with deception. Satan's scheme, just as it was in the Garden of Eden with Eve, with Adam, to undermine God's revelation with deception. And he does this in two steps. Step one is to cause us to question God's word. Did God actually say, that question is as relevant today as it was then. Step two, he causes us to question God's character. Is God really loving? Is God really good Does he really want what's best for you? And so in these two steps, Satan undermines God's revelation with deception, ultimately by spreading lies, which is why Jesus said of Satan in John chapter 8, verse 44, he was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth. There is no truth in him. He is a liar and the father of lies. And so God's provision for overcoming Satan's lies, that piece of armor he has given to us, is the belt of truth. Truth being defined as the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. It is that important to our lives in overcoming the attacks of Satan. With the belt of, tr- <coughs> With the belt of truth, we are stable, we are prepared, and we are armed And so we are ready and equipped for Satan's attacks when they come. Well, today we move on to that second piece of armor, which is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Would you please stand with me as I read the text? Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 14. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, we are so thankful this morning that you have given to us every resource needed to be victorious. 
to overcome the attacks of the enemy. We thank you that greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. But yet, Father, as we read, we understand that you have given us a very real role to play in this battle. And it is important that we learn how to fulfill that role so that we will walk in victory. And so, God, as we focus on this particular piece of the armor this morning, would you open our hearts, our minds, and God, would you help us to understand and to apply exactly what this is all about? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So today we learn what it means to put on the second piece of our spiritual armor, which is the breastplate of righteousness. Now, before we go any further, let's take a look at this picture for a moment. In light of what we learned last week, what is wrong with this picture? Those loins are not girt, are they? All right. Now, I understand why the loins might not be girt for the sake of this picture, because it may be not quite appropriate um, for our purposes, but I just wanted to point that out. This soldier, while he looks really ready for battle, he is not properly utilizing the belt and the girding of the loins. And so, um, anyway, just wanted to get you thinking and want you to be aware of that. At any rate, um, as we did last week, we will consider the same three components. We're going to look at Satan's scheme, God's provision, and our implementation reminding ourselves that if we are ever to experience the fuller abundant life that Jesus intends for us, we must learn to be victorious in spiritual warfare over the devil and his demons. Because, hey, here's the bottom line, right? A defeated Christian is not a fruitful Christian. A defeated Christian is not one who is living the full or abundant life in Christ. And so, first of all, let's consider Satan's scheme. Satan's scheme. Last week, Satan's scheme, again, was to undermine God's revelation with deception by causing us to question God's word and question God's character through the spreading of lies. In today's text, his scheme is a bit different. Lies are still involved, but in this case, Satan's scheme is accusation. Satan's scheme is accusation. An accusation is a charge of wrongdoing. And in this form of attack, what Satan does is he points his finger at us, pointing out all that is wrong with us, attempting to drown us in guilt and shame. Now, this behavior on his part should come as no surprise because if you go back two weeks when we talked about the devil, what does his name literally mean? slanderer, accuser, all right? The devil is literally the accuser. And there's a verse in Revelation chapter 12, we would have covered this months ago in our study of the book of Revelation, that illustrates this form of attack so graphically. The apostle John writes in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, he says, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. The accuser who accuses them. There are at least three things I think that are important to note in this this particular verse. Number one, 
The devil is literally called the accuser. It is such a part of his character. It is such a part of his being and his strategy that it is his name. It's what he does. Secondly, who does he accuse? Our brothers. All right, this is a, a, a reference to the body of believers, the body of Christ, brothers and sisters, God's children. His accusations are against Christians in an effort to defeat them. And then number three, how often does this happen? Day and night, which is a way of saying all the time. 24-7, 365, Satan is about the business of accusing Christians, about heaping guilt and shame upon them. Now, why is he so dedicated to this weapon of accusation? Well, because as we well know, accusations are powerful weapons. Think about all that is accomplished through accusation. When Satan does this, he's able to paralyze with guilt. He's able to steal joy. He's able to make to feel unworthy. To cause us to doubt God's love, which causes us to doubt our salvation ultimately to bring discouragement and depression. In short, through accusation, by heaping all of these reminders upon us of how we fall short and all the wrongdoing in our lives, he is able to keep us from living the full or abundant life that will bring glory to God. He steals abundance from God's people, which steals glory from God. Now, I imagine that many of you can relate to this personally, can't you? You hear the voice of the accuser constantly, don't you? Reminding you of your sin, flooding you with shame, telling you that you're no good. And it becomes so familiar that it sounds like your own voice, doesn't it? You see, self-talk is one of Satan's greatest weapons against us. Self-talk is one of Satan's greatest weapons against us. We ourselves become the devil's voice of accusation. And we just push ourselves down further and further and further. Or, as has been the case for so many of us, the accuser will speak through others. Key people in our lives who become Satan's messenger of accusation. It could be a parent. It could be a teacher, a coach, a co-worker, a boss, a spouse, an ex-spouse. And when these people speak words of accusation against us, telling us how we don't measure up, how we're no good, how we will never be what we want to be, the devil uses them to do those things that I mentioned just a minute ago. To paralyze us with guilt, to steal our joy, to make us feel unworthy, to cause us to doubt God's love or to doubt our salvation, to discourage and depress Does any of that ring true for you? Words are so impactful. They literally have the power of life and death. Well, here's an important question for us this morning. What part of a person does accusation target? What part of a person does accusation target? I think the answer is the heart, right? The heart. Now, when I say the heart, I don't mean that physical organ, the muscle that pumps blood throughout your body, 
<coughs> Rather, we're talking about the heart as the spiritual part of us where our emotions and desires dwell. The heart is the spiritual part of us where our emotions and desires dwell. It's the, the very core of our being. And the Bible uses the term heart in this sense as many as a thousand times. The Bible talks about the heart as the spiritual part of us where our emotions and desires dwell repeatedly. So it's a very important scriptural concept. Most notably, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. We are to love God with all our hearts from the very core and depth of our being and with our emotions and desires. The heart is the instrument for loving God in this way, which is exactly why Satan, the devil, is so eager to attack it. And the way that he does so is through accusation. The importance of the heart is highlighted in Proverbs 4.23 where it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. According to Proverbs, how important is the heart? Above all else, guard it. Give the protection of your heart top priority because Satan's coming after it. And if Satan can do damage to and wound and debilitate your heart, he will keep you from being able to love God the way that God has commanded you to love him, and you will fall short of the full or abundant life. Well, how exactly are we to do this? How exactly are we to protect our hearts from Satan's accusations? This is where God's provision comes into play. After Satan's scheme of accusation, we are so blessed to know that God has provided a piece of armor for us to protect our hearts. And specifically, that special piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So, what was protected by the physical breastplate of a Roman soldier. His physical heart, right? In fact, the ancient historian Polybius, he simply referred to this piece of armor as the heart protector. I like that. The heart protector. And it was therefore an essential piece of armor because if your heart is wounded, you're finished, right? You're out of the battle. You're out of the fight. And even in modern-day military and law enforcement, what do we have? Right? We've got the bullet, the bullet, the bulletproof vest to protect the heart and other vital organs. It's the same principle. Well, then what is protected by the spiritual breastplate of the Christian soldier? The spiritual heart. The spiritual heart, which again is the spiritual part of us where our emotions and desires dwell. It is that instrument by which we are to love God supremely. And so we are instructed, above all else, protect your hearts, such as the importance of this piece of armor, the breastplate of righteousness. Well, while the breastplate of the Roman soldier was likely made of metal plates or chains, the spiritual breastplate of the Christian soldier is made of what? Righteousness. 
It's the breastplate of righteousness. And so we need to take a few minutes to unpack exactly what that means. Here's a very simple definition of righteousness. Righteousness is simply a right relationship with God, which results in right living. Righteousness is a right relationship with God, which results in right living. And so this is what the breastplate that protects our hearts is made of. A right relationship of God, which results in right living. This is what protects us against the devil's attacks of accusation. Now, there are, in fact, two dimensions to righteousness that we're going to talk about this morning. Two dimensions, actually, to this breastplate. Now, we're going to go a bit deep for a minute. Is that okay? It is okay because deep truths mean deep roots. Deep truths mean deep roots, and deep roots mean deep strength. And church, we need deep strength in these days, do we not? So, let's go a bit deep for a minute, and let's develop those deep roots so that we have deep strength. And then, you know, this is why as a church we emphasize discipleship so much. Going beyond just attending church on Sunday, the marks of a disciple. Disciples are missional, accountable, reproducible, communal, and scriptural. Those are the kind of people who are going to be able to stand up against the attacks of the devil when they come. Disciples with deep roots that come from deep truths. So the first dimension to the breastplate of righteousness is, first of all, positional. The first dimension to the breastplate of righteousness is positional. It, it describes our justification, which simply means our right relationship with God. Justification is our right relationship with God. We have been declared righteous. This was the theme of the first three chapters of Ephesians, the rich truths of who we are in Christ, which sets the foundation for how we are to do spiritual battle. Now, we know from Scripture that because we are all sinners, because of our sin, all of creation is out of right relationship with God, correct? As Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. No one righteous, not even one. Which means that left to ourselves, instead of being in a position of righteousness, we are in a position of sinfulness. Instead of being in a position of right relationship with God, we are in a position of separation from God in which we deserve His wrath and His judgment. That's terrible news. That's the worst news ever. But it sets the stage for the best news ever in John 3.16. For God so loved the sinful world that rebelled against Him, that spit in His face, that He gave His one and only Son, Jesus, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God could have left us in that state of separation, deserving wrath and judgment, of being out of right relationship with Him, but instead, He sent His Son. Here are the mechanics of how that works. Here's how we become restored to a position of right relationship with God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, God the Father made Jesus to be sin. 
who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Short verse, completely profound, completely important. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, at the cross, a great exchange took place, right? Here's a diagram of that great exchange. God made Jesus to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Here's the exchange. Jesus took my sin. I received His righteousness. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? Doesn't get any better than that. This is what justification, a right relationship with God, is all about. Now, the theological term for how this transfer happens is called imputation, and it is the basis of the breastplate of righteousness, that we are positionally in Christ in His righteousness. So here's the thing. When God the Father looks at us believers, what does He see? Does He see our sinfulness? No. What does He see? The righteousness of Christ. Because that exchange took place, did it not? And so when Satan accuses us, what ground does he have? None. We point to the righteousness of Jesus that covers us. And as it says in Romans 8.33, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Satan? The devil? The accuser? (laughs) It's God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Satan? The accuser? The devil? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. You see, the devil's arrows of accusation, they bounce off harmlessly because we are covered with the breastplate of righteousness that we received from Jesus Christ because of that great exchange that took place. It is granted to us because of the righteousness of Christ that has been transferred to us by faith. So in the breastplate of righteousness, this is the first dimension to that righteousness. It is positional. We are in Christ. We have received His robe of righteousness. And that breastplate protects us. Now the second dimension to the breastplate of righteousness is practical. This describes not our justification or being made in right relationship with God, but this is our sanctification, our right living. Practical describes our sanctification, our right living. Because you see, our right relationship with God is not intended to simply be the end. With God, with our right relationship, it is to result in right living. And right living is a key component to the breastplate of righteousness. The principle is this. For the breastplate of righteousness to function as it is intended, right living must accompany right relationship. Let me say that again. For the breastplate of righteousness to function as it is intended, right living must accompany right relationship. Righteousness must not only be positional, but it must also be practical. Here's how Warren Wiersbe expressed it. He said this, When Satan accuses the Christian, it is the righteousness of Christ that assures the believer of his salvation. 
But our positional righteousness in Christ without practical righteousness in the daily life only gives Satan opportunity to attack us. To be properly protected against Satan's accusations, you must live out practically who you are positionally. Be who you are. The effectiveness of the breastplate of righteousness depends upon it. And I believe this is why so many believers are living in defeat. They have neglected the importance of practical righteousness, the pursuit of holy living. We receive the breastplate. We receive Christ's righteousness. And then we think that we will be protected if we just kind of go off and do our thing until Jesus comes back. It doesn't work that way. And so left to themselves, left in not giving attention to holy living, we become vulnerable to Satan's accusations, to his attacks. You you can have the breastplate of righteousness, but not appropriately wear it. Which brings us to the discussion of implementation. Satan's scheme is accusation. God's provision is a breastplate of righteousness which He has provided for us through that exchange of the cross where we receive Christ's righteousness, but it is not only positional, it is also practical. How do we practically implement implement then that breastplate? This is the question of how should we then live? There are two things that I think are essential for us this morning. The first is this. You have to receive the breastplate by faith. You have to receive the breastplate by faith because it's the only way you can get it. Many people try to create their own breastplate with their own righteousness. And it's an exercise in futility. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 says, All of us have become like something unclean. And all our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. All of us wither like a leaf. And our iniquities carry us away like the wind. That's pretty sobering, isn't it? Our righteousness on our own isn't very righteous after all. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's, it's filthy and disgusting in the eyes of God because our hearts are so sick. Our hearts are so darkened with sin. Even when we try to do good, it isn't good because we're such a mess And so that kind of self-conjured righteousness on our part does nothing against Satan's attacks. All it does is give him more opportunity to accuse us because deep down we know that Isaiah 64, 6 is true. So when we try to create our own breastplate of righteousness, it's like wearing one of these. You ever go to the dentist and get one of those paper bibs? How's that going to work against arrows? Not very well. Not very well. That's what it looks like when we try to make our own breastplate of righteousness. Instead, we need something much stronger. We need something much firmer to protect us from the arrows of accusation from the evil one. We need the breastplate that can only come by being in right relationship with God. That righteousness comes from that great exchange of 2 Corinthians 5.17, God made, or 521, God made him to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We need that righteousness. And if you haven't yet made this great exchange, what are you waiting for? 
What are you waiting for? Today's the day. Today's the day. That exchange happens by faith. When we come to the place where we recognize I can't be righteous on my own, I can't make myself right with God, and until I admit that, I'm going to be separated from God, deserving His wrath and judgment. It is only by the cross of Jesus Christ and His robe of righteousness that I can be made right in Him, which is the breastplate that protects us from the accusations of the enemy. So, first point of application this morning, receive the breastplate by faith. Step number two is to put on the breastplate by obedience. Put on the breastplate by obedience. For again, you see, having the breastplate is not the same as wearing the breastplate. It is entirely possible to have the breastplate and not be wearing it. You have to put it on. The Apostle Paul made this abundantly clear in this particular text that we're looking at. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand an evil day and having done all to stand firm. And today, verse 14, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now listen carefully. The fact that we are repeatedly told to put on the armor indicates that you can have the armor and not be wearing it. It is certainly true with the breastplate of righteousness. After receiving it by faith, it must be put on, and the way that we continually put it on is through obedience, through the pursuit of a holy life, where we purpose to live up to our position as one who is in Christ. We're wearing this robe of righteousness that is the, the righteousness of Christ. We want to live out what it means to wear that robe. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24 says it this way, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is what it means to put on the breastplate of righteousness, leaving no room for any of Satan's accusatory arrows. For when we have the breastplate, but do not put it on through obedience, we are in that particular state vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. And again, that very well may describe some of you this morning. There was that day at some point where you put your faith in Jesus. You made the great exchange. You gave him your sin. You received his robe of righteousness. But you've been sloppy recently. You've been careless You've been living in ways that you know are not consistent with that robe. And you're wondering why it seems every turn you are being defeated by the enemy, this could very well be why. There's an old saying, it's true on many different levels. It's uh, true in, with our tools and our work. It's also true with military and military gear. Take care of your gear and your gear will take care of you, Right? Take care of your gear, and your gear will take care of you. Neglected armor will not function as it is intended. And so, what do you do if you've neglected your breastplate of righteousness? It's laying over in the corner somewhere, rusty, dusty from disuse, due to neglect of personal holiness and obedience, and your heart, sadly, tragically, has the wounds to show for it. What then? 
because the accuser has been successful in hitting you in your most sensitive area, what do you do in such a case? Very simply, you keep short accounts with God. The beautiful thing about the patience and loving kindness of our God is that he just simply waits patiently for us to fall on our knees before him, to come back in confession and repentance, and to say, you know what, I've strayed. I know that I have not been living up to the robe of righteousness that I so gladly received once upon a time. He does not lord it over us and heap guilt and shame upon us. He simply welcomes us back into communion. You know, we, we do not lose union, but we can lose communion, can't we? That closeness, that intimacy. David prayed, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. That's what it means to keep short accounts with God. As it says in 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, you, you take the breastplate of righteousness that Jesus gave to you and you ask the Holy Spirit to come and to, to service it, to clean, out, clean it up. Take care of the dust and the rust. And to confidently then put it on your body so that you are once again prepared to do battle. Being reminded that if we are ever to experience the full or abundant life that Jesus intends for us, we must learn to be victorious in spiritual warfare over the devil and his demons. And so in regard to the breastplate of righteousness, that's Satan's scheme, accusation, God's provision, the breastplate of righteousness, which is both positional and practical, and our implementation, which is to receive it by faith and to live it out, putting it on by obedience. Next week, with our unprepared soldier here, who's not girded his loins, we'll be uh, dealing with the shoes of the gospel of peace. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning on behalf of this congregation and uh, again, thank you that you have so strategically placed us in this community to do battle for you, for your kingdom. And God, I know with that strategic positioning comes, I'm sure from Satan's standpoint, strategic attack. And so God, may we not take that lightly. And God, we may, may we not fear it either. May we have a healthy respect for the fact that there's a bullseye upon us. But God, we do not fear, again, because you have given us everything that we need to be victorious, and most of all, it's you. And so God, I pray for anyone who is here this morning who is yet to put on that breastplate of righteousness, who is yet to make that great exchange. God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for someone who is listening. And God, I'm sure there are many of us who are listening today who our, our, our breastplates are in a state of disuse. We are so thankful that once upon a time we prayed a prayer and put our faith in Jesus and received that breastplate, but God, we've strayed. We are living in a state where our breastplate is in disuse, dusty and rusty. God, I pray that there would be people all over within the sound of my voice who, through simple confession and repentance and contrite hearts, come back to you and say, oh God, I'm so sorry. 
God, I can't live without communion with you and without the breastplate being firmly and securely in place. And so God, in, on all accounts, would you draw us closer to yourself this morning? This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.